Carver, what can you do back there for us? Uh, echo, echo. echo, echo. You hear me? Nope. Not gecko, not gecko, gecko. <laughs> we heard those in the Philippines. Boy, those guys are loud. Geckos. Talking about quick. You've seen geckos, Nate. Where you've traveled. We had one on the camp that was about yay long. And uh, he could go up a two-story wall just, just like that. One time we were uh, in uh, Baguio, up north, beautiful place. If you ever think about a retirement place to retire, in the Philippines that is, go to Baguio. Baguio is in the northern mountains. And this kind of sleeves all day long. You need a little light jacket at night, okay? Uh, Dr. Billy Martin says he'll give you three reasons never to retire in Florida. It's called June, July, and August. Hey, where is Pastor right now in Florida? What month is it? Ah, uh, I'm glad we're here with AC running, aren't you? Uh, I appreciate the privilege of being in the pulpit this morning. Uh, we've been in the pulpit once or twice in our lifetime, and I'm actually looking forward to speaking this morning. Uh, what does the preacher do first when he gets ready to preach? You see that clock back there? I put that clock where it is, okay? That clock used to be sitting right there in the middle. And it stared at me the whole time I was in the pulpit. Now, what you don't know, and uh, Jeremy hadn't told you, you can't see that clock from here. <laughs> okay? So, if, if you want to call Jeremy a long-winded preacher, it's my fault. <laughs> I, put, I put the clock right there. No, uh, I'm looking forward to speaking this morning. Uh, God laid on my heart several weeks ago, knowing that I was going to be preaching today, God laid on my heart the message that He has for Community Baptist Church today. And uh, that message is around the concept of finishing what the Lord Jesus Christ has started, if you will. Open your Bibles with me to the book of Acts, and we'll look therein in just a few moments. Acts chapter 1, and verses 1 through 3, we'll read those, and we will sort of springboard off of those into the message. The message this morning is somewhat of a topical message with a challenge. I'm a firm believer that... Uh, when the pastor, when the preacher steps into the pulpit, he should not step in with two things. Number one, an empty head. And number two, without a challenge. If people aren't challenged by the preaching of the Word of God, then uh, the preacher's wasting his time. Because God has a plan, and the plan fits His children. And I want to be able today to, to communicate that. 
So I've entitled this morning's message, Finishing What Jesus Started. As uh, was and still is, my mode of uh, communication is an outline. Now, my outline is much longer than this one, all right? You've got just the, the bare meat, uh, or minimum, I should say, of what uh, I'm going to be speaking on today. You know, one of the problems that we find in life is procrastination. We, we put off, put off, put off. Even in church work, things we don't like to do. You say, well, do you, are you guilty of that? We all are. I'm guilty of it. I have three t-shirts as proof. My wife purchased those t-shirts. Procrastinate, project number one. Procrastinate, project number two. Procrastinate, project... And she's working on project number four. So we need to understand. Read a book a number of years ago. Actually, it was uh, Stephen's book. Bobby and I have taken a few days out going up to... Uh, their home at Machapungo on the river. And they had a book laying there, and the title of the book was Eat the Frog. Eat the Frog. Now, the thesis of the book is this. Nobody wants to eat the frog. You, you want to eat a frog? Listen, talking about the Philippines. Some of those frogs, and they were just like our toad frogs, but they were bigger. They'd come out at night in particular when there was a swarm of uh, bugs, termites, and those things would sit there in the road by the dozens, and they would eat termites until literally they would burst wide open. Now, nobody wants to eat a frog, in particular like that. But let me go back to the book. I picked the book up that weekend, or during the week or whenever we were there, and I began to, to read the book, Eat the Frog. Well, nobody wants to eat a frog. Detestable. A lot of people like frog legs, but that's as far as you're going to go, and that's got to be a bullfrog. That's one of these big boys. A little toad frog? I understand uh, they may be a little poison. I'm not sure, never ate one, but that was the title of the book. Now here is what the thesis of the book was about. And by the way, I taught this two years in the Philippines to these pastor uh, students. Also, to, they have a group, the, the women, the ladies in the Philippines are called Bible women. And they are somewhat church mothers in the Philippines. But I taught this principle. And the principle is, get out of the way the thing you hate doing the most. So what do you hate doing? How many of you hate making up a bed when you get out of it? Well, I've learned an awful lot about that lately. You know, Bobby and her condition. And by the way, please pray for her. 
terrible, terrible day yesterday. Uh, hopefully she's tuned in today and, and watching, but I uh, don't know if they've got, her, got everything up from back there or not. But do pray for her. Uh, just an announcement, report was not a good report. And so she's had to go back on Taxol that she started with five and a half years ago. It worked then, but it also, well, she's had it twice now in this five and a half years. So when she puts her hats back on, you know she's lost her hair third time. So do pray for her. Pray for us that uh, we'll be wise in handling the decisions with discernment, with wisdom that God gives us as to where we go from there. But back to, back to the frog. The frog teaches us that priority is a must. Nobody wants to eat a frog. People don't like eating a frog, but eat the frog the first thing that you got to do. Get it over with. That's first priority. What's the principle behind that? The principle is, is do the thing that you dislike so you can get to the thing you like. That works. That works at work. That works in the house for you homemakers. That works wherever you are. That works in leisure time. Whatever. Eat the frog, get it out of the way, and then you can go on to the things that uh, you enjoy doing the most. The pleasurable things. Well, my, my text today that I'm going to begin with, found here in the book of Acts, chapter 1, is this. Finish what Jesus started. Did you know that the church is far from finished? Look with me in the text. Jesus says, chapter 1, verse 1. Luke says, chapter 1, verse 1. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after, uh, until the day of which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs being seen by them uh, during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now several things here in the text. And that we see that the things Jesus, catch that phrase, things that Jesus began both to do and to teach. We note that he was taken up from them in the text, the ascension, he went back to heaven, and in before going, he gave orders, having given orders by the Holy Spirit to a specific group of people, to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now, these men, these men became responsible for if the last phrase of verse 3, speaking the things concerning the kingdom of God. So note, 
Nowhere in this, these few verses does it say that Jesus finished what he started. It says emphatically things that he began both to do, that's action, and to say, that's the message. He gave this to the apostles. The apostles' duty was to take it from him, move forward with it, and continue and hand it to the church fathers. This they did. And so I want us to understand today that uh, by no stretch of the imagination is the work that Jesus began to do by any means is finished. Let me give you just a brief church history. It would have been in uh, the year 1972. Most of you can't identify with that, can you? 1972, there was a group of people in LaGrange that had a heart for something that was on the cutting edge spiritually, for where they were worshiping, and that's not important, where they were worshiping. God laid it on their heart to begin a work. That work was Community Baptist Church. On December, it's either the 2nd or the 7th, one of those two dates, 1972, Paul Barwick, who was one of the original, and there were some 30, 20, 20 to 30 people that came here to start this. Did you come in this building? By no means, this building wasn't here to start this work. But on December 2nd, 1972, Paul Barwick, who owned the local newspaper, editor of it, Paul took the charter. Paul was a paraplegic, paralyzed from his waist down. Some of you remember Paul. Took it to Raleigh, walked it through the offices in Raleigh, did his work, and when he came home that night, Community Baptist Church was an organization identified, ratified by the state of North Carolina as Community Baptist Church. I see just maybe one, two, three of those people here today. We've buried, we've buried for the most part that congregation. Or they are in nursing homes, wherever, not able to take that burden that God gave them, birth this local assembly with, and take it forward. They did their job. That group of people called Fred Clifford. And by the way, some of you know this, Fred was my pastor in South Carolina, where my life was turned around for Jesus Christ. They called Fred to be their pastor. Fred pastored this church 
for a total of nine and a half years. Fred was a good man. Fred was a godly man. Fred did his work. Resigned, moved on. Of course, that's a name at Wayne Christian School that's kind of familiar too, isn't it? God used him at Wayne Christian School for some, I think, 13 years that Fred was administrator of Wayne Christian School. Fred passed the mantle. 1981, church called me to be the pastor of Community Baptist Church. Here's what most of you don't realize and don't know. Church extended a call to me in uh, about six or eight months before I came. My work where I was wasn't finished. And the reason I did not come immediately is because my son, Joel, was a senior in high school. Church had a good interim pastor doing a great job here. And I told the people that gave me the call, I said, yes, I will come if you will wait until my son graduates from high school. I would never pull him out in the middle of his senior year. So we moved. We moved here. Uh, I think it was the second week in June, right after graduation, that Joel had finished and uh, moved into the parsonage. And by the way, that was on a Saturday that we moved. We loaded up some teens and went to camp on Sunday after getting here. Let me give you a good encouragement about this. I'll just time out. This, not, this is a little extra. A gift of $15,000. I want to tie that in, okay, to Springs of Life Camp. At Springs of Life Camp, someone has just given them uh, about a month or so ago now uh, the same amount of money, $15,000, a matching gift. Do you know what they have done? The alumni of all those campers that we were involved with and many other churches as well, that group of people raised $25,000. That gives them $40,000 to do ministry work and uh, re refurbish a lot of the building and some of those things. We can do that here if we listen to God. We don't have the broad perspective uh, or the outreach that Springs of Life has because that probably has touched over 40, 50 different churches over the years. But anyway, back to the topic. Graduated, we moved here. In 2007, after making several trips to the Philippines, sensing that my work here was, was done, God opening a door for us to move forward on into ministry. We accepted the challenge to go to the Philippines and teach in the Bible Institute. And by the way, not that my work here wasn't fulfilling, but those two, just a little over another semester of years, 
that we taught there were the most fulfilling years of my ministry. We saw these kids in the school, the two, two schools, School of Biblical Studies, that's just the one-year program, and then School of Ministerial Studies, that's a four-year program, and we were able to work with that group of kids. And these young people are pastoring. The mantle has been passed from time to time, person to person and person, and they're continuing the work. It's what a joy to be on Facebook with these kids. They're pastors. They're Bible women now. And the work goes on. You might pray for that work because they're in the same lockdown situation that the United States is in. They don't know about opening school. Matter of fact, uh, the Bible Institute should have already opened. And so they're having difficulty what to do, how do they move forward with it. But anyway, enough of that. And then in uh, 19, excuse me, 2009 or 10, I'm not sure the exact date, God brought the Varna family here. So see the transition? Pastor Clifford, Dean Hightower, Pastor Varna. The challenge of the work is through the pastor. God calls men. Uh, if you're not familiar with this, let me give you just a statistic, okay? 94% of the people whom God saves sit in pews. Now that doesn't mean they're not doing anything. Without the pews, the work of the ministry, the work of the church goes nowhere. God calls some 5 to 6% of believers into what we call full-time ministry. Without the pew and the people of the pews, there's not going to be a church. Without a God-called man to, to lead and move the church forward under the headship of Jesus Christ, then all is vain. So, the 70s generation is gone. For the most part, okay? We're going to hang on as long as we can. The generation moving from the 80s into the year right where we are today, you are the, you're responsible under God for what Jesus began to do and to say. Now, several things, and I, I know I have something behind me. I can't see that out there. I know now why Jeremy comes down here. <laughs> he can't see. Now, I told you at the very beginning, I, I do propositional preaching. That is, I'm asking you to do something. I have probably somewhere 20 to 25 hours in this sermon, and I haven't even gotten to it yet. 
okay? But here's what I'm asking you to do as one of the in-between people of this church. I call myself a tweener. I'm tween the old school and the new school. I started to bring it in here. Did you know that the overhead projector that we put up there, my son and I, we mounted that bracket and we hung that old projector. I started to bring it for show and tell. It's about, no, it's about yay long. It doesn't even look like a projector. It looks like a, a bomb or a bullet or something. It's sitting back there. Just take time to, to go and look. I call myself a tweener. We hung that old projector and the second one that followed also. And by the way, some people didn't like that. Old school. If you do the same old thing the way you've always done the thing, what are you going to get? The same old thing. Now, I say I am a, a tweener. I am between the old and more of today's people and the generation. And I try not to be old-fashioned. Listen to this. If you don't get anything else I say today, get this. What am I going to say? Principles, principles and methods. Okay? Methods are many. How many of you want to go back, some of you who lived in the 1950s and 60s, want to go back to that lifestyle? They call them the good old days. They weren't good. They were not good. Now, people may have been more content in those days than they are today. That's part of progress, I guess. But methods are many. Principles are few. Methods always change. Principles never do. What are the principles? These are the principles. They never change. But there are different ways of doing it. And so I say I am not, I'm by far not technologically up to date as some of these guys are. Nate's a whiz. Carver's sitting back there. Carver set up my uh, slide presentation. But here we go, we must individually and collectively, catch that, individually, as people, families, people in the pew, we must individually and collectively dedicate as our eat the frog, you got me? As our priority, the completion of the work God has commissioned you, me, Community Baptist Church commissioned us to do that. And by the way, he's gifted us to do it. Every one of you has a particular spiritual gift. You received it the very moment you trusted Christ. And those gifts are to be brought into the local church, fit together, 
to bring progress and unity to the glory of God, gifted us, and he has supplied all we need to do it, and he's given us his pastor, Jeremy Varner, to do it until God moves him on. Principle that I've learned, and I taught this to these young men who are preaching today, many of them, a number of them are. When God calls you to a work, you make preparations and you plan to stay there until you die. Or be prepared to move tomorrow morning if God says go somewhere else. That is the plan of God for every one of us, whether we are pastors, whether we are church members, until God gives us liberty to go, we plan to stay. Thing is not moving, it doesn't like me. I told you I'm a tweener. Now, three things I want you to see today. I want you to see a mantle that must be passed from one generation to the other. I want you to see the model for ministry success that must be performed and you have to do it efficiently. You've got this in your outline right in front of you. And then I want you to see the mission is to complete Jesus' church don't miss this next one. He's the proprietor of the church. So let's take a few moments and progress with this in mind. First point that we see, Elijah to Elisha. There's an Old Testament example here that illustrates a New Testament principle. You're very familiar. Sunday school, did you learn the stories of Elijah? Elijah, excuse me. Did you hear and read and go home and tell mom and dad about what he did on Mount Carmel with the 300 prophets of Baal? Did you, did you read of his ministry and the boldness that this man would speak with? Elijah was not an ordinary man. So I'm going to call him first generation. Text that we're looking at in Elijah's life. God told him, 1 Kings chapter 21, 19 through 24. He said, go see Ahab. Now, boldness. You think of the boldness of a preacher. Look what Elijah had to do, what he had to say. He says, you tell him that this is what the Lord says. Have you not murdered a man and seized his land? Remember the Bible story, Naboth's vineyard? Ahab wanted Naboth's vineyard. He went home sulking before, what was his wife's name? Jezebel. 
We use that term today, do we not? You, you're nothing but an old Jezebel. That's where it came from. Jezebel said, what's wrong with you, man? You're the king. You want his vineyard? I'll get his vineyard for you. And they went about the process. But look back at the text. This is first to, to Ahab. You tell what the Lord says. You tell him that he murdered Naboth. He, he was murdered so that he could get the vineyard. You tell him this is what the Lord says. In the place, now watch this, in the place where the dog licked up the blood of Naboth, there also the dogs will lick up your blood, King Ahab. Yes, yours. When Elijah arrived, Ahab said to him, So you have found me out, my enemy. There was no friendship between the man of God and King Ahab. You found me out, my enemy. He replied, I found you out because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. And note the second time, this is what the Lord said. What was the message? I will bring calamity on you and consume your descendants. I will cut off from Ahab every male in Israel, both slave and free. I will make your house like, the house, like that of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and like that of Baasha, son of Ahijah, because you have provoked my anger and caused Israel to sin. Now note, and the Lord speaks concerning Jezebel. The dogs will devour Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Uh, anyone belonging to Ahab who dies in the city will be eaten by the dogs. Uh, and anyone who dies in the field will be eaten by the birds. So, Elijah. Elijah's the prophet. Older. An older man. And by the way, do you know the story of uh, the death of Ahab? Ahab and King Jehoshaphat, maybe it was, of, of uh, Judah. Ahab is the king of the ten southern tribes. They plan to go to war. And old Ahab, he says, I, I want to go down there where the action is. I'm going to dress up like a soldier. It was Jehoshaphat. Forgive me if I've got the wrong king there. He says, you take the king's garment. You go up here. And the enemy spotting, first of all, Jehoshaphat. They go to charge to kill him. He runs and they realize this is not Ahab. But here's the beautiful part of the story. Ahab is down with the warriors. And just at random, one of the enemy's soldiers pulls back a bow, arrow, lets it go. And where does it hit Ahab? Right in the back, between where the armor joins. Ahab says, I'm wounded. 
Take me out of the battle. He's in his chariot. Take me out. Where do they take him? Naboth's vineyard. There he bleeds out and he dies. And the dogs lick up his blood. What about Jezebel? Jehu. Jehu. Coming on the scene after Ahab, he comes riding into the capital. Jezebel is up in a tower of some sort. Jehu, with his men, says, If you're for me, throw out. If you're against me, in essence, you'll pay the price. So they threw her out of the tower, Jezebel. I suppose it was the, the, the fall, the thud, that spooked the horses. And the horses reared and they stomped, they stomped her to death. Jehu says, good job guys, let's go, get it. Let's go to the bar. After a few hours, probably, of merriment, they go back to the foot of the tower and they can find, if I'm remembering correctly, on a portion of her skull and maybe a little of an arm bone, the dogs, the pack of wild dogs had come and eaten her body. What did uh, Elijah say? The prophet boldly, boldly saying so. So we come to Elisha, who is the pupil, the new man on the block. We see he's committed. He's the second generation who's going to receive the mantle. He's going to have passed down to him what God is doing through his people, the prophets. And so one thing we find duty, Elijah, we, we learned this principle, God's will is more important than our will. Now, why do I say that? Elisha readily gave up the good life. Now, here's a, here's a thought. People of the pew, are you ready to give up the good life in exchange for God's life? That's the greatest cause a man can give himself for. Elisha was just that man. His readiness is a model for all of us to follow, determination. I want you to, to look with me and see with me some of the thoughts of this man of God. 1 Kings chapter 19, 19 through 21. With Elisha and Elijah, Elijah knows his time is, is drawing to an end. And so scripture says, so he departed from there and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. And he was the 12th. You got this picture? Big field, Midwest. We don't have fields like they have in the Midwest. And there's a, a dozen huge John Deere tractors in the field, maybe combine. One, one, two, three, four, five, six, and down to twelve. 
That's the picture. Twelve yoke of oxen in the one field, and Elisha is number twelve. Hold on to that thought a moment because I have some, some thoughts with that. Now Elijah comes to the field, and you see he threw his mantle on Elisha. Now note, possibly, and, and catch this. I thought this was interesting in my study. That it was actually a coat mantle. That is a possibly a picture of one person adopting another in the Old Testament times. But here's where my mind went when I saw that principle. I was just a sinner in need of forgiveness and salvation. And Jesus Christ put His righteous mantle on me. And now I am adopted into the family of God. Think about that. The doctrine of adoption. No more beautiful picture than for you and I to know that in this first birth, we were not spiritually born. We were only physically born. But in this new birth, the second birth, there's the fact of adoption. And so, maybe symbolically so, Elijah is putting his mantle of a gesture of adoption. And note what Elisha does. He left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and my mother, then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again for what I have done to you. So Elisha turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen. How many, how many oxen would have been in that field? Twenty-four. Twelve yoke of oxen in that one field. Twenty-four. Elisha turned back from him, took a yoke of oxen, slaughtered them, and boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment, gave it to the people, and they ate. Now note, what did he do? He arose, and he followed Elijah. That's commitment. Purpose, perseverance, these are prerequisites that God requires of His children who are worthy of a predecessor's mantle. Three times, story progresses, goes on to 2 Kings, and uh, three times Elijah, to dissuade Elisha from following him, he says, stay here. Three times. Here's commitment on Elisha's part. Stay here, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. But Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went on to Bethel. Second time, we drop down to verse 4 of the chapter. Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, 
for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. But Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives, as you yourself live, I will not leave you. Commitment. Perseverance. Third time. Verse 6, Elijah says to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan. But Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went out. Something happened at the Jordan River. Crossing the Jordan, Elijah takes off his mantle. He strikes the water, and Elijah and Elisha walk through on dry ground. I will not leave. Stay, stay, stay. I will not, I will not, I will not. Jesus says, the man, the woman, having put their hand to the plow and turning back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Think about that. So what, does, what will it require? It will require the passing of the mantle, the receiving of the mantle, the boldness of an Elijah, and humility, determination of an Elisha. Now let me say something about Elisha that you don't see in this. How many men, how many people come from put it in the culture, the history setting of that day, how many people would come from a family that could afford 12 yoke of oxen in a field? Elisha was not a poor boy. Okay? Elisha was a man that committed himself to the principles, to the cause of God and would not turn back. Elisha could have had anything under the sun that Elisha wanted. More than likely because of his heritage. How many people have failed going to ministry, serving God. Because there was too much to let go of. Elisha, I will not, I will not, I will not. I'll go forward with you. Our problem today is that too many people are too busy looking into the rearview mirror. You can't drive far going forward looking into the rearview mirror. 
Matter of fact, I learned this the hard way years ago. You only have to take your eye off of a road for a split second. And you're in trouble. I was driving. Listen to me now. My 1954 Chevrolet. That was a while back, wasn't it? Down a dirt road, and I got distracted over to one side, and before I could look up, I was in a ditch in the right side of my car. It looked bad when I got it out. Just that quick. It happens. So the rearview mirror driver is going to get in trouble. That's a recipe for failing God. What happened in 1972 is history, but don't you forget it. What happened in the 70s to the year 2000 to where we are today is history, but don't you forget it. Because it's important. Very important. Let's progress. Lesson learned. You ask for nothing, you get nothing. And if you get nothing, and you're asking for nothing, then learn to be satisfied with it. But don't trouble the rest of us. You hear me? God's got a lot of things ahead. For you who are receiving the mantle. Elisha says, What can I? Elijah says to Elisha, What can I do for you? Elisha says, Let me have a double portion of your spirit. That's boldness. I want a double portion of what you have. He said, Verse 10, You've asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you are determined and you stick with me, till you see me go up, then it's yours. That was what was bequeathed from the prophet to the pupil. Let's continue. Then it happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with uh, horses of fire and separated the two of them and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. God took the prophet into heaven. And he's one of the two men that there's a mystery concerning even to this day when you get in to some of the teachings of Christ, you get into the book of the Revelation. Well, did Elijah die? Did he not die? You ask Pastor Jeremy, all right? <laughs> now note, verse 12, and Elisha saw it, and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and his horsemen. So he saw him no more. Now watch this. This is Elisha. He took hold of his own clothes. He tore them into pieces. He took up the mantle of Elijah 
that had fallen from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him. He walks, he's on the other side of the Jordan. He takes that mantle, he strikes the water and said, Where's the God of Elijah? I want a double portion of what this old guy had. That's what I was asking for. And Scripture says, Elisha crossed over. Now, Elijah is asking for something that Elijah can't give him. You see that? No pastor can give the second pastor anything. That has to come from God. We, we learn this. We understand this. Only God meets out the measure of the Spirit as it pleases Him. Elisha became the head of the school of the prophets. Remember, Elijah had a school. He was training other prophets. The indication is that Elisha was not even one of Elijah's students at that time, but he became the head of the school of the prophets and count by some, reading the scripture, now watch this, Elijah performed seven miracles where Elisha, read your scripture, that's your assignment, go home, do your homework, write me a paper, bring back, see how many miracles Elijah did, and see how many miracles Elisha did. Seven for the old prophet, 14 for the pupil. I want the spirit of Elijah, he bellowed. So what are you asking for? Pastor, you're probably watching. What are you asking God for? One of the things that I know pastor's asking for is a field of dreams. You can give him a shovel, all the equipment and everything he needs, and he can't produce it by himself. Is God leading our pastor? If he's leading our pastor, then the pastor needs to follow, and he will follow. Where kids run and play, kids hear the gospel, kids come to Jesus Christ, families, families are saved and become a part of the 95% that sit in the pews and worship God daily. What's the model for ministry? Jesus gives us a model for ministry. Excuse me, Paul gives us a model for ministry that uh, we need to pay attention to. And that's found in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Now, what, now catch this, watch it. This is what passing the mantle looks like. Generation to generation to generation to generation. That'll be in some of your discussion tonight. Paul writes to his second generation son in the Lord. 
You therefore, my son, be strong. First generation, Paul. Second generation, my son Timothy, be strong. In the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, third generation, you commit to faithful men. Paul, to Timothy, to faithful men. Three generations in time, in progression. Now keep watching that these faithful men will be able to teach others also. Someone has called this the ministry of multiplication. Sad thing that most Baptists multiply by dividing. Did you catch that one? We get disgruntled. Don't like what the preacher says. Don't like so-and-so sitting on this side of the church, everybody on that side of the church. We're the sheep and they're the goats. That's division. Work of the pastor is to edify. Ephesians chapter 4. He's called to edify the body of Christ until unity prevails and fills the congregation. That's his job. So it's a method of propagating the good news of Jesus Christ. Now the process. Generation 1, follow this one, Paul. Paul's that first generation, things that uh, you have heard from me. Now keep in mind the passing of the mantle from Elijah to Elisha. Now we see that the efficiency of the church. Paul, the things that you have heard from me. Great fundamental truths rehearsed by the apostles in the presence of the elders of the congregation. Paul, how many... Uh, how many books did Paul write of the New Testament? How many? Thirteen. Possibly fourteen. If you give him the book of Hebrews. Which by the way, Jeremy and I disagree on this and I think I'm going to leave the church. <laughs> I don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. God knows. The important thing is that it's inspired of God. Think of all the, the doctrinal truth we have in 13 books of the Apostle Paul. Think about that, beloved. The gospel. The doctrine. What did Peter say about Paul's writing? Peter says some of his writings, I just have to scratch my head. He's deep. That's what we have from Paul. Generation 2, my son, Timothy. Timothy, you take this, you commit these things to faithful men. Generation 3, faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Generation four others. Now watch this. It's not men merely who were believers in Jesus Christ. 
Churches are full of those people. They're just believers. So not just men who are believers. This, of course, was intended, but the faithful men here, they're denoted as loyal, trusty souls. Men who, under no temptation, would betray the charge committed to them. That's what we need. Men and women committed. Stay here, I will not. Stay here, I will not. Stay here, I will not. I'm going on. Faithful. As God says. Now, let's Note the third thing for success. That third thing is the mission is to complete Jesus' church. It's His, of which He is a proprietor. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 19. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, hard question. Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Good question. Who do men say that I am? Watch this Old Testament name. So they said, some say John the Baptist. Well, John the Baptist has had his head chopped off now. They think maybe he is just a carryover. Maybe you, John the Baptist. Who's that next one there? Who was the old prophet that passed the mantle? Boldly. Naboth. Dogs will lick your blood right here. Some say you are Elijah. Others say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you? Who do you, apostle? Who do you, twelve disciples, say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you, you are Peter, and on this rock, difference but play on words there, Petros and Petra, little pebble and boulder. And Jesus says unto him, little pebble, on this boulder, the correct kind of profession, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, your Savior, my Savior, coming again. I will build my church. Catch that. Whose church is it? Belong to Peter? Mm -mm. I'm going to build my church. Who owns the church? That's pretty clear from the text, isn't it? He's the proprietor of the church. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. 
I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. That'd be an interesting discussion for you tonight. I'm not going there now. What kind of authority does the church have? It has a lot of authority. Give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Point. I'm going to build my church. Prior to, Jesus purchased it with his own blood. For as much as you know, you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain manner of life, but with the precious blood of Jesus. That's what the church cost him. His blood. His death. He died for you and I. power of the church. The gates of Hades, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Push, yes. Prevail, no, never. Not in 10 billion years will Satan ever defeat Jesus and his church. Amen? Now the word push there is the idea of trying to destroy something. So the devil and every demon in hell has pushed against the church, the local church. The universal church to destroy what Jesus owns. Never in 50 trillion years will it ever happen. But don't you think he's not trying? He wants to destroy Community Baptist Church. We're not going to let him. Doesn't belong to us. We're just, hear me, Elisha's receiving a mantle. We are just the others in the generational development of things. We're just the others whom faithful men has. Taught us by, thank you God for Fred Clifford. I often think of where I would have been had he not come to Blackville, South Carolina. And there started a work. I know where I'd be. I'd still be there. Just as miserable as my friends are there right now. And we're still in touch with them. See, who are you? You are elect, you are chosen, and you are holy. Don't let nobody persuade you otherwise. Jesus, scripture writing of him, 1 Peter 2, 8 and 9, he's the stone that, the people, that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word and so they meet the fate that was planned for them but you are not like that. 
For you are a chosen people. You are a royal priest. The priesthood of the believer. A holy nation. God's very own possession. He not only owns the church, but He owns you too. You're His. You're His possession. A result? You can show others the goodness of God. That's the New Living Translation. I use different translations. I do most of my Bible reading in the Berean Study Bible. Sometimes these other translations just seem to say it right. And this is one of those times. Called out of darkness into His marvelous light. Now, where does this all go? Where does it stop? Where does it fit? The mantle was passed from Jesus to his disciples who passed it to the church fathers who passed it on until we picked it up. In 1965, 64, and into 65, I picked up a mantle. I can take you right now to the building, the spot where my knees hit for my ordination service. And within a few inches, I can show you that spot. When other men gathered themselves around me, placed their hand on my shoulders, on my head, and they prayed for me, the pastors. It's no accident that you are a member of Community Baptist Church. There's a mantle here, and you have received that mantle. 2,000 centuries, the year 2020, that's where we are. The model that Paul gave Timothy is clear. Go back, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Go back, read the text, and look at the progression. It's there. The mission for you, this generation, build what Jesus started. The Bible teaches he's the, he's the chief cornerstone, book of Ephesians, the, the apostles are next to him in the foundation of the church. You and I are way up here somewhere in the structure of this building. We're just bricks. Old dumb bricks. But that's who we are and that's where we are. It started from the foundation, the owner. Build the church that Jesus started. So finishing what Jesus started, it will take the boldness of Elijah, the commitment of Elisha, doctrinal purity of Paul, and the readiness of Timothy. And that's what it's going to take for us to do what the Lord says do. So here's, here's the challenge. I told you, proposition. 
I'm asking you to do something. I'm not asking you just, please come back to church next Sunday. I'm asking you to do something. So will you commit your time, talents, and tithes to build Jesus' church, which he owns? Will you make that commitment today? Will you stand with your pastor whom God led here? Can I, can I share something from my heart to yours? Before we left the field of the Philippines, Jeremy and I text back and forth several times. I, had the, I felt the leading of the Lord to come to Community Baptist Church and attend. My reasoning why do I want to drive 15, 20 miles somewhere else where the best church in the whole state of North Carolina is right here? Now, Jeremy is a pretty smart guy. I would have been, if I was in his shoes, I would be dubious too. You know, I've seen too many old men destroy churches. And so when we move in, he and I have a conversation. And pretty much here's the question. What are you going to do when some of these old people you pastored come to you and they begin to complain about me? You know what my answer was? I was I ain't got a problem. You go to him. <laughs> okay? So if you got a problem, don't come to me. If you got a problem with pastor, let me put it in clear English. Go to him. He's a gracious man. His personality is a personality, if you look at the four different kinds, he's the personality of a lion. Sometimes you think a lion will eat you alive. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you this. He loves you. He loves every one of us. He loves me as just a church member now. And so I didn't come to make wrinkles. I came to support, listen to me, I came to support the pastor of this church. It just so happened to be Jeremy Barnum. My work was done. And so if you've got a complaint against Jeremy, don't talk to me. Well, some people do. And you know what I tell them? Go talk to Jeremy. And sometimes I go with them. So, you pray for Jeremy. Do you do that? I'm going to share something. Jeremy and I have a special relationship. Breaks my heart. Jeremy's tired. He's tired, physically tired. You'll never see it. He's weary. Every problem that you have, everything that he sees 
in, around problems with you, he's got them on his shoulders. He needs a rest. Are you praying for him to have a rest this week? Shame on you, shame on me if I'm not. Lift his hands when he's weary. Encourage him when he gets, as he, he gets his marching orders from Christ. He's the voice to the pew from Christ who owns the church. If you don't like what he preaches, go tell Christ. Tell God. Because I believe with my whole heart he brings the messages to me and to you that God's telling him to bring. Even if you don't understand at times where he's going. And I'll be the first to say, sometimes I don't understand. But my position, he's my pastor. My responsibility is to support him. Let me say this. And I'm just about through. You can see that. Besides, I got three more minutes. <laughs> I thank God for every one of the people that I had the privilege of pastoring. They were good people. They were godly people. You know, this thought just hits me. You know, I, this, the church was so young when I came here, it was 13 years before I performed a funeral in the church. Hmm. 13 years. Some of you old folk, who was that? Who was the first one? Miss Goodman. And they weren't charter members. Ah. Some of y'all have really aged. <laughs> You've gotten a lot older. But let's take our place. In the ranks of the chosen, let's take our place as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. In the church, August 9, 2020 and forward. I praise God for this old group. Praise God for that group. Some of them are housebound, some of them are in nursing homes, and more are not or in the ground. I praise God for this middle age group that's here today. I praise God for you young people that's here today. And hear me, if the church fails, you're the ones that failed. Not really.
Will you commit yourself to Jesus Christ? Will you do that? I said I preach for decisions. And here's my, here's my, here's my invitation that I'm giving you. You're all seated, seated right now. If you will make the kind of determination that Elijah made, Elisha, excuse me, Elisha made, and you will be the generation of others that Paul talked about. If you will commit yourself to Community Baptist Church, here's what I'm asking you to do. Everybody's seated. Now here is a move. Here's a movement. Don't do it if you don't mean it, but will you one by one take a stand? Amen. 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 Now, when we make commitments like this, God holds us to it. Let's pray. Father, only you know what took place here this morning. Only you know the burden of a pastor for a church that my predecessor had, Fred Clifford. You know the burden of my heart, the heaviness of my heart at times. Many years, 27 years. You know the burden of the heart of Pastor Varner. You know where you want to go with this group of people that just stood, and by their standing, they committed themselves to Community Baptist Church, to Pastor Varner, who's the shepherd, the under-shepherd, over the flock to Jesus Christ who owns us who owns this church and so God I'm, I'm praying I'm asking that this commitment not be short lived but we take it to heart even in our care groups tonight and there will be discussion about what we've, we've done what we've seen what we've said today God those things will be solidified in each and every one of us. God, I want to pray for that generation of those who are in nursing homes today, those who are homebound today, ill health, they cannot get out any longer. God, I want to pray for them. I want to thank you for those that are in the ground that stood the test their faithfulness to you and to this church. I want to thank you for those, and I want to pray for this middle-aged group that's here and carrying on the work, and I want to pray for this young, these young couples. I want to pray the power of God in their lives. And Father, more than all, I want to pray for our pastor. Help him to be refreshed with his family, to be renewed in his spirit, 
and to experience a revival that when he comes back to us, he will come back with the fervor of Elisha, who did more than Elijah did. God, I pray this. I pray it for your glory, first and foremost. I pray it for the benefit of each of us who are members of this church. I pray it in the precious name, the name which is above all names, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.